0: Top of the morning to you or afternoon or evening, whenever you may be listening. My name is Scotty and welcome to Chip Time, season 3, episode 3. Took me a second there. I'm used to saying season 2, but it is season 3 and we have a packed show for you as always gonna be somewhat similar to episode 2 of this season just given the amount of sheer electricity that has been taking the indoor track by storm. We had the Milrose Games. We've had multiple Boston University meets. Uh, We've had the Camel City Invitational. So many huge meets for both the NCAA and professional ranks that we have to just run through, scratching barely the surface of all the high-level marks and records that have gone down. So that, like I said, is going to be similar to last week because there have been so many more records just pouring in. Uh We will not quite have as much of a story time as we did last time. We like to have fun like that, but not every single episode. But we certainly are still going to have some fun talking about the results and what they could mean for the outdoor season. We got World Championships in Budapest here in 2023 and already starting to connect some dots there. But before we dive into all of those wonderful things, we have two housekeeping items here. The first, which just completely warms my heart, is that we have received a new five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and it is titled with an emoji. And this emoji appears to be a farm animal of some sorts, as I, as I squint here and sort of trombone to get into focus with my eyes. Uh, it appears to be a goat. It appears to be a goat, and the caption reads... That's why he's the GOAT, the GOAT. They are they are praising us as the greatest of all time. Uh, of course, that is exaggeration, that is hyperbole, but we will take the five stars, of course, and thank you, listener, for the support. It means the world to us, and uh, we read all reviews on the show here, so feel free to pop one in if you haven't already. But the Other thing we've got to hit before the results is I want to keep us going with the shoes news. Whenever there is a new line of running shoes introduced or a significant update or modification, we want to be your source to cover said news. And this time, wouldn't you know it, it's Saucony. Again, so last episode we talked about the Saucony Endorphin Elite, a brand new marathon racing shoe, a road racing shoe. You could do halves, 10Ks, whatever in it. And uh, I actually did some more research after the episode last time. So a few comments uh, quickly on the Endorphin Elite before we get into this week's shoe. Uh, number one is this is supposed to be like the flagship Saucony Racing shoe, the Endorphin Elite. So even a step beyond the pro. So what you're getting is a little bit less wear out of the shoe, but in theory, more performance. And they had a bunch of just uh, Saucony propaganda on the website about how it is engineered to Bring a running experience that no one has ever had before. And you know, all those uh, adjectives to just get you out of your seat. So, certainly a lot to be excited about there. The other thing on the Endorphin Elite is I did make my way to a local running store and just ask when uh, it would be expected for the shoe to be in, because that's something you can't really find online. I mean, you could probably pre-order through the website, but that goes against one of our principles here on this program, which is support your local running store always. I say it again, support so I walked in there, and I asked, and they they said it is expected to be at their store here in the metro Detroit area on February 21st in a single colorway, and then there's going to be another color coming out in April, and then possibly a third color in June. I, I would expect the neon green to be the initial colorway, but this is all sort of just informational anyways i personally do not plan to pick up the endorphin elite i've still got plenty of juice left in my endorphin pro and i'm not setting any records out there so i don't see a need to prematurely upgrade my flagship road racing shoe when i'm just kind of using it for a couple workouts maybe once every other week and my summer and fall road Races. So that's a quick sidebar on the Endorphin Elite. But, you know, I want to make sure to just give a disclaimer here as we shift into this week's shoe that by no means are we trying to give a biased, Saucony centric presentation. I do plan to cover as many different shoe companies as we can. It just so happens that here in the first month and a half, Of 2023 Saucony has been the most innovative I'm not exactly sure why they've targeted the winter market Um, maybe it's so that they can be the first ones to launch these here at the end of the winter so when people are buying shoes in March that's a very popular time for shoes when high schoolers are getting ready for their outdoor track seasons Um, If you're a college runner or a high mileage post collegiate, you're getting shoes year round. But that March time frame and then August are like the most popular times for shoe companies because of those high schoolers and hobby joggers who are just picking up some new shoes to lace up when the snow is melting or if it is the exiting of summer going into summer the fall, which brings us to today's shoe, which is more for that hobby jogger, the Saucony Freedom Crossport. And and what excites me about this, just off the bat, first of all, land of the free, home of the brave, but second of all, a neutral training shoe, and you gotta think, Saucony, what do we know? They've got the Ride Series, they've got the Kinvara, as of just a couple last couple years the endorphin shift they have the triumph as well they have a lot of these training shoes already so the first question is why the need to add another one to the mix and hopefully we will do our best to answer that question but as far as those other Socony trainers go the Triumph is the most comparable to this one. Um, I would put it in the line so there's more cushion and stack. Um, if you kind of look at it from a, a singular raising the bar perspective, you've got your Canvara, then your Ride has a little bit more foam, then the Triumph, That that's sort of your mid-tier sweet spot neutral training shoe. I'm putting the Freedom Crossport a step above that But it's still a little bit less of a stability shoe than the endorphin shift. So in terms of the midsole, if you just picture your classic uh, Saucony midsole, you've got a higher stack height here in the Freedom Crossport than the Triumph, but lower than the endorphin shift. However, first slight bummer of the specs of this shoe, the weight is about equal to the shift, so why is that a bummer? In theory, you're getting about the, uh, you're getting less comfort, again, theoretically, because there's less foam in the midsole, but the shoe weighs the same, so if you typically want a heavier shoe that is gonna be stable for you, so you're not rolling your ankle, and it's gonna be comfortable for you during that ride, so when the weight is higher and the midsole has less foam, Typically, that's not the direction we want to go there. But on the positive side here, the upper of this Freedom Crossport, it is breathable with a collar that wraps around your foot, which, of course, all shoe collars do. But in this case, it's sort of a, a cushioned collar. Think about the Endorphin Shift 1, but with a more breathable upper around the foot and I think that really goes in tune with the theme here if the theme is freedom we want to be able to breathe land of the free home of the brave I like that I like that a lot now the outsole this is I gotta say I mean as much as I'm a Saucony fan we gotta call them out when we gotta call them out uh possibly the worst part of The shoe, most disappointing, would probably be the best way to describe it. Why do I say that? I mean, just first of all, look up the shoe, go to the website. Um, You turn this thing around, you look at the outsole on the bottom of the shoe. It's divided in two different designs and you can tell just by looking at it that there are two different sets of materials used for the front of the outsole and the back of the outsole and it divides at the middle of the foot the front of the outsole looks pretty good it looks similar to the endorphin speed one Um, it's it's got some rigidity around the toes because that's where you're impacting it and there's some different grooves in it which are seemingly for the impact areas of each person's stride but then at midfoot there is just a gray pattern throughout the rest of the outsole with kind of some squiggly line patterns throughout. And there just doesn't appear to be much thought or emphasis or added effect to that second half of the outsole. If I'm being honest, it almost looks to me like they designed half an outsole and then they went to their warehouse manager and was like, hey, what is the cheapest kind of rubber that we have the most of and just need to get rid of? And then they were like, oh, it's it's this kind of rubber. They're like, okay, we're gonna use that for half of the outsole of this entire new line of shoes. And obviously I don't know if that is actually what happened, but that is the feel of this outsole, is that they designed half of one and then they just kind of slapped on this cheap rubber. There's no decoupled groove. There, there's really nothing to, at least on the outside, show that they put a lot of thought into how your foot is striking the ground and rolling through with the back of the outsole. It, it just looks very cheaply done, in my opinion, and from the reviews I've heard, not necessarily much excitement in that department. Uh, last couple things here. First of all, it is very uh, a very stable shoe, and it's a durable shoe. You're expected to get four to five hundred miles out of it, which is pretty standard for a Saucony trainer. That's right in the wheelhouse. Um, maybe a hundred miles less than what you could get out of an Endorphin Shift, but if you like this upper better, if you're more comfortable with that uh, collar around the top of your foot then that's sort of a trade-off you could make and you're still getting plenty of miles out of this thing. But the last thing, which similar to the gosh darn endorphin elite from, from last episode, the price point is not great here. It's coming in at $150 and that's just a little high to me for a shoe that is in between some of their existing lines that customers like, that customers are going to stick with. I'm not planning on leaving the Endorphin Shift anytime soon. And so the thing is here, for that same price point, why would a customer abandon a shoe that's proven that they've run in before, that they like, and experiment with something like this for the same or a higher price point? I mean, this is more expensive than the Canvara and the ride, so I don't think, in this is my one man's opinion, I don't see enough innovation here to really make me chomp at the bit to pay $150 for this shoe. But at the same time, one thing I gotta mention here, because it's, it's just a thought going through my head, we're seeing these prices rise, we're seeing these Saucony prices rise compared to the last couple years and it makes you wonder is this an actual indicator of the running shoe market that we're going to have to start paying these higher prices and it's going to keep going up and up or is this just a factor of Joe Biden's America of the inflation in the economy and the reason I bring him up is he had an opportunity last week, State of the Union, to address this very issue of running shoe prices, and he did not comment a single word. And I was pretty blown away. Um, I mean, I didn't watch it, but the fact that through all these news articles and stuff, uh, he just dodged such a pivotal topic. um, I I was very disappointed In uh, really him and the rest of our elected officials so this is me calling out to all those people in Washington get it done Uh, put in some things to let us afford these shoes don't just dangle them in our faces I want the shoes I need the shoes and I do not have $150 to pay for the shoes so we'll see what happens in the future but I'm here to keep the people accountable and be a voice for the voiceless so Saucony Freedom Crossport I know it's not the most exciting shoe but because it's a new line that they introduced had to cover it and uh, let's give the shoe a chance people if you are someone who's looking for something different uh maybe maybe it's the shoe for you but for me i'm planning on sticking with my endorphin shift for the time being, But that is going to do it for our shoes news this time around. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors and then dive into all of the track and field action that has taken place over the weekend. This episode is sponsored by the Amino Company, As I am sure you know by now, I have been using the Perform product from The Amino Company for quite a while now. We're looking at well over the six-month mark now that we are in the new year of 2023, and this is by far my favorite 100% science-backed endurance and recovery formula. That has really helped me accomplish a lot of my goals. It's great to just get through the grind of the workday and just flip that switch and be ready to work out and i want you the people at home to join me in the amino company team because i know how good it's been to me and other friends of this program but what i don't want you to do is pay full retail price because you are one of our loyal listeners, you can get a 30% discount if you use code CHIPTIME at AminoCo.com CHIPTIME. So let's start out the new year, right, people, with Perform from the Amino Company using code CHIPTIME at AminoCo.com slash CHIPTIME. Now, back to the show. All right, people, we got so, so much track and field to cover here. We're going to dive right into it. Game plan is we're going to start with some collegiate races, and and I seriously am only talking about the cream of the crop. There's still so much we don't even have time to go through today, but we're going to transition from those collegiate races to Milrose. But my goodness, there is so... So much that happened here. I think we're going to be covering a total of eight different events. And we're going to start with the NCAA Division Three. We had two big ones here. The first one we got to cover is the men's mile. So in this case, just last year was uh, Aiden Ryan, who's now running for Washington. He ran 356 to break the Division three record and at the time it was faster than the Division two record until Christian noble ran 356.0 and that Division two record is it was faster than D3 until this weekend Ryan Wilson of MIT ran a 355. At Boston which not only broke Aiden Ryan's division three record but it is faster than the division two record absolutely crazy so if you missed it because it's Super Bowl weekend or whatever Boston had like 400 people signed up to run the mile between men's and women's it was absolutely crazy they had a ton of people and in total including both collegians and professionals there were 52 men that ran under 4 minutes and there's a free flow track video on the youtube i only plug their free stuff where you can literally watch every single one it's one video it's about a half hour long and they just put heat after heat after heat uh, and, and just show you, like, yep, uh, eight more people went under four minutes in that one, and it is absolutely crazy. So shout out to Ryan Wilson for that. The other Division Three one that we have to cover is the men's 5K, and this is this is a little controversial, which it, which makes me even more excited to talk about it. We love the controversy. And so the question going into this, this weekend, right, was will Alex Phillip break the record? Alex Phillip, we mentioned him last week, broke the 3K record for Division Three, But this 5K record has been around since 1994. Dan Mayer, 1353. This one's been around... Longer than your host has been alive, and I am not a very young man. Dan Mayer, 1994, 13.53. Alex Phillip, so going into this one, he's run 14.10 on a regular-sized 200-meter bank track, but he's also run a converted 13.58. So, a flat track time that converted down to 1358. So, the question was at Boston, which is like the fastest track in the US, is he going to be able to break Dan Mayer's record? And so, a couple things happen here, and we'll go in chronological order. First of all, outside of Boston, uh, west of Boston, there is the Midwest Elite. Invitational and two Division Three runners toe the line on a flat track. Christian Potska and Ethan Gregg, and they both run under thirteen fifty-three. Potska, thirteen forty-nine, Gregg thirteen fifty-two. We're all freaking out. Two guys just broke this almost 30-year record. And it wasn't even Alex Phillip. And we're like, what is going on here? The next day, Alex Phillip, he runs at Boston. And he runs 13.44. So five seconds faster than Christian Pochka. So all three of these guys are under the D3 record. But here's the kicker. Here is your Club Kino kicker. 200 meter flat track for the first two guys, which gets a conversion. Because those tracks are not as fast as a 200 meter banked track with more forgiving turns, they awarded a nine second conversion, which puts Pachka at 1340 and Greg at 1343, both of which are faster than Phillip's 1344. I will be the first to tell you, I do not know in terms of the ratification of these records, what actually they accept. I am assuming it's going to be Phillip and the 1344 that was at the bank track. I don't think they factor in conversions, or else everyone would just like go to Flagstaff, Arizona, and run at altitude and... If they happen to be someone whose body didn't get affected as much, they just get a crazy conversion and break all the records. But I think it's going to be Phillip's record that gets ratified. But when you look right now at the NCAA performance list for Division three, the order of the fastest marks of the year, you see Phillip at number three, and you see the converted marks ahead of him. So I might have to reach out to some of the D3 uh, colleagues of mine to figure that one out, but very, very fascinating seeing those results pour in over the weekend. I think the the first race was Friday and then Phillip in in Boston was on Saturday. So it was crazy seeing both of those go down. Moving up to division two, the women's 5k. Brianna Robles of Adams State, 1547, smashing the NCAA record by 14 seconds. This is a record that had stood for 12 years since 2011, and she took it down by 14 seconds, being the first woman in Division II to break 16 minutes indoors. Shout out to her for that one absolutely untouchable on the d2 scene adam state women have been just crushing it per usual we have one more boston race to talk about before we get into the milrose games and that is the fast heat of the mile in case for whatever reason you thought ryan wilson's 355 was fast Wait till you hear about this one. So the first heat of this race had the a mix of professionals and the top division one collegiate racers. And in this case, it was won by Amos Bartelsmeyer, Union Athletics Club, formerly Bowerman Track Club uh, professional, running a low 350 right behind him, Inas SIE of South Carolina, 350.46. That is number two all time in the NCAA behind only Cooper Tier, which was in that time trial with Cole Hawker and Charlie Hunter. So for SIE to do this in a legit field, yes, they had pacing, so did Cooper, but they to, to be rubbing elbows with people and making moves and moving around and having to insert surges in a actual field of competition Um, I personally think it's the most impressive mile in NCAA history barring a national championship type postseason race so this guy's been on fire Um, as weird as it was last spring when he just stepped off the track I might have mentioned that last week so forgive me for repeating myself but yeah, I mean, if if he just stays on the track, I guess. Uh, I don't know if anyone can stop this guy. He's run a monster 3K as well. So shout out to him. The postseason of the NCAA is going to be electric. I think even more on the men's side. And that is only because Caitlin Toohey is so dominant on the women's side. But on the men's side, it seems pretty wide open for 5K, 3K, and in this case, the mile, is Joe Dubs, is Joe Wascom going to repeat? I know he didn't win the mile, but as the reigning 1,500-meter champion, is he going to keep the crown on his head, having run 3.51 this year, or is SIE just going to be too fast, take it from the gun, and bring home a national championship himself Very fascinated for that. And that's not even to mention all the other elite milers in the NCAA this year. But speaking of elite milers, it is time to transition to the Milrose Games. And in this case, four events we got to cover. They were by far the four best. The women's mile, the men's mile, the men's 3K, and the women's 3K. Uh, not necessarily in that order. I just kind of spouted them out. But we are going to start with the women's mile. Of the four there, probably the least uh, entertaining. That's not to say that it was not entertaining. It's just the other three races were slightly more entertaining. But, you know, as expected, it was Laura Muir taking the win here. Silver medalist from the Olympics in the fifteen hundred. Two years ago, going 420.1 here in the mile, and you know, once she took that lead, there was no looking back. But we do have to shout out Josette Andrews, formerly Josette Norris, 420.8. She was really hanging around, kicking with Laura. It was looking like she might have a chance to even edge her at the line, and for her being new to the on athletics club she's only been there for like two months maybe three months um gosh she has fit in really well and once again just like last year the oac just straight up dominated these milrose games uh they might have to rename it or something to the oac games but wait till we get to the the next couple events here but i'm really excited to see what Jozak can do um, on the American stage because she's already been one of the best American middle distance runners over the last two years. But now that she has this training group with Sage Hurta-Klecker and Sinta Visa and uh, who else? I mean, Alicia Monson for a little more long distance, but they really have a tight middle distance crew and it's gonna be exciting to see what she's able to do with Dathan's training, Chippy Coach of the Year last year. Next up, man, this one was crazy. The men's 3,000 meters. Going into this one, there wasn't a particular favorite, but there were so many guys that you could see winning this. In another way... In a different way, it made it more entertaining going in because of those question marks. And the reason I preface it that way, it's a little bit of damage control, is because when I predicted these, and and I do top fives in my predictions, I did not even include the man who won the race in my top five. But it's just because I could have seen like, like nine of these guys winning the race and that man is of course Josh Kerr of the Brooks Beasts the bronze medalist at the Tokyo Olympics in the 1500 stepping up in distance to this 3k and the thing with Kerr is he really I mean he still had a good season last year even though he didn't medal but by his standards, slightly disappointing, and the thing that I respect about him is, while the Brooks Beasts were really kind of, really kind of having some some turmoil, um, you know, Ribich left after his contract didn't get renewed, and none of the uh, American members of the Beasts made the American team, and just things were a little down out there in Seattle. Um, Josh Kerr he goes out and he does a half marathon just for fun and just absolutely tears it up out there. I don't remember his exact time, but I think it was like 62 or 63 minutes. Like he was he was really shredding it out there. And it just seemed like something to disengage his mind from the track and re-engage on the roads and just have fun. And since then, Even without his buddy, Ribich, he's really dialed in on the training right now. I I feel like he's having fun just kind of connecting those dots together. And now that the fitness is there, the energy is there, and the enthusiasm and the positivity is there, as well as the confidence, which is Josh Kerr, so that that was never a question. Um, Man, he really burned it up out there to get this win no one was going to be able to go within that last 400 meters but now seeing this strength from him we know he's got the speed i mean it's it's olympic bronze medalist um you gotta put this guy right back in the medal conversation for outdoors at tokyo or not tokyo at budapest this summer so i'm already getting ahead of myself there but in addition to josh My pick to win this race was Joe Klecker. Uh, I was really just fired up at that 1254, 5K he ran a few weeks ago. He's obviously got the fitness. Yes, he's more known for the longer distances, but I just thought he was going to be able to squeeze these guys down. Last 800, maybe K, uh, maybe get some help from his OAC teammates, Jonas and Jordy. And while those guys ran exceptionally well, Also, it was just no one could match what Josh Kerr was able to do. Uh, 7.33 for Kerr for the win. And just to show how fast this race was, even compared to last year, is the fact that Jordy Beamish of the On Athletics Club got sixth place this year running seven oh man, I wrote terrible, 7.36, I I couldn't read my own writing for a second, 7.36, which is three seconds faster than what he won the Milrose 3K in last year, that just shows how much faster this race was. I believe the top nine, which included those guys, as well as Cooper Tier, Luis Crijalva, Um, Dylan Jacobs who almost broke Drew Bosley's collegiate record just I mean like half a second off of that record that Drew set last week Um, and then Sam Parsons as well all these guys were faster than the time that Jordy won it in last season and that just shows that the, the level of competition just continues to rise and it made for a really entertaining race And I really want to say very sincerely that I am happy for Josh getting that win because I hope that that is able to translate to the rest of the team. You hope that a signature win like that can excite the other Brooks beasts when they're training and instead of, you know, kind of hanging their heads. And it's not like I've been at practice, but that is just something from a culture standpoint that when there is a lack of success for a sustained period of time, it's harder to just find that motivation and encouragement. So hopefully, with you know Josh's big personality getting the signature win, that can enthuse the rest of the team and just bring out some some more uh, encouragement and strong performances when we get to the U.S. Championships in the summertime. So, sincere shout out to him for that. We got two more meets, or two more events to cover. The first one is, of course, the women's 3,000 meters. Alicia Monson, Elise Cranny, you're thinking it's gonna be a duel between these two. We have Alicia, who won this event last year, And as an Olympian, we have Elise, who is the American record holder in the 5K, dropping down here to the 3K. We're thinking it's going to be a two-horse race here. Um, I also had Ellie Hennis, Whitney Morgan, and Caitlin Tuey in my top five. So as expected, Alicia took the win. 8.25 completely burned up the field. And I actually did get the top five right, but not in the exact order. Because Elise Cranny actually faded back to fourth place, which isn't isn't terrible by any means, but she did fade back a little bit. Ellie Hennis down to fifth, if my notes are correct. But the story here was Caitlin Tuohy, the collegiate runner from NC State who just broke the NCAA record in the mile two weeks ago. She goes into this race, and the target she is searching for, 841. Carissa Schweitzer's record, a woman who we know runs like they have pancakes at the finish line. How are you going to beat that? How could you possibly be more motivated than that? How are you going to break 841? Caitlin cruises, especially that last K. It might have been the most impressive part of the race because that's when Cranny and Hennis started falling off a little bit. And although she finished about 10 seconds back from Monson and five seconds back from Whitney Morgan, she ran 8.35 to destroy Carissa Schweitzer's record by six seconds and I personally did not see that coming at all. I thought at best she would break it by two or three seconds and around 8.38 or 8.39. But to just obliterate it like that, um, I'm at the point now with her where I believe she could be the national champ in really any event she chooses. Um, it's just a matter of... What makes sense on the schedule, which most likely is 3K, 5K at the national meet, but this has got to be the biggest lock for a national champ as far as predictions go that we've ever had in NCAA history for multiple events. I think of like in a thing, Mo, who was head and shoulders above the rest in the 800. Uh, and then ended up just not running it at Nationals. But uh, in this case, for multiple events, 3K and 5K, I don't think we've ever had someone that big of a favorite. Since what, Steve Prefontaine, uh, who we will talk about later, by the way. But shout-out to her for that one. Absolutely legendary performance. And still got a shout-out Alicia for the win, she's been ripping it up out there. The whole on athletics club has been, and we we have to on that note just transition to the very last event because it of course features the on athletics club, and it was the men's Wanamaker Mile, the signature event that Bernard Lagat used to win every year. It was something that you just, you turned on your TV, Uh, it used to be ESPN back at that time, you may remember these days, and you just wondered, who is Bernard beating today and how fast is he going to run? I think he won the Wanamaker like eight times. But it's a little different now. It's more similar to that men's 3K where there's a lot of guys in contention And I say contention in this case, meaning like to get that top five spot. It really felt like from top to bottom, anyone in this field in the right race could have finished top five. But in my mind, there were three guys that were the heavy favorites for the win. And they were all from the On Athletics Club, Ali Hoare, who won this last year, Mario Garcia Romo, who was fourth at the World Championships last year in the 1500, and Yard Naguse, who just broke the U.S. record in the 3K two weeks ago. Looked like those guys were going to be the heavy favorites here, and they did all finish in the top four. Neil Gorley getting second place from Team GB. But you know the way this one played out made for a pretty exciting race because going into it, not only was Nagoose trying to get the dub, get the win, he also, in his very chill Nagoose way, said that it would be quote cool to get the American record, Bernard Lagat's 3:49.8. Uh, he said it would be cool to run faster. Than that, so the race starts going. You got Eric Sawinski pacing, best in the business, uh, uh, second best in the business. My homeboy, Craig Nowak, the pace pirate, he's the best in the business. Got to shout out the homeboy there. Uh, But Sawinski, for the middle distances, he's your guy. He gets him out there firing on all cylinders. You got Super Mario right behind him looking real froggy per usual. Looking real froggy, looking strong. And then, you know, about halfway through the race, Ollie takes the lead, but he's not really squeezing them down in that typical fashion that he does. And, and at first, optically, I'm wondering, is he saving a gear for later? But then, come to find out. and Goose takes the lead, over his teammate and with 400 meters to go absolutely opens up another gear that perhaps has not been seen in the history of mankind burns up the track i would say he deleted the track like it just burned up behind him and suddenly with 50 to go the last straightaway you know he's got the American record. And suddenly they flash the world record on the screen of 347-1. And he crosses the line in 347-3. Two and a half seconds faster than the former American record. Absolutely demolished it. And I've, I've got a lot of thoughts here. So I want to try and be as organized as possible. But at the same time, I don't want to forget something. So if it comes up, we're just going. Thought number one that is in my head. The overall American record outdoors in the mile is Allen Webb's 346.9. And I remember, I still remember being a 17-year-old in high school uh, in the computer lab, Looking on Wikipedia, what is the fastest American mile ever? Because this was a time when like I was targeting sub five and I was just curious, like what is the fastest ever in in America? And it was Allen Webb's 346.9. But when you looked at that list, you saw that no other American had even gone under 347. And you know he was the only one to do that, and so I bring that up to say it really felt untouchable at that time, ten years ago, when when I was reading that, it felt like who could possibly do that because the shining star in American running at the time was Galen Rupp, but he wasn't a miler; he was more of a 10K guy, and then later a marathoner, and then Matt Centrowitz. Was, was very fast in his own right. He's around 349, but still, when he did that Centro mile uh, a year ago, or I think it was two years ago, before the Tokyo Olympics, <laughs> I'm, I'm gesturing as if you can see me, uh, he was still about two and a half seconds off of Alan Webb's record. But when you looked at this Milrose Games Wanamaker mile, and you see Nagoose do this on an indoor track, so obviously sharper turns than a 400-meter outdoor track, it was the first time ever that I could picture an American going toe-to-toe with the best in the world. I'm thinking Jakob. I'm thinking Jake Whiteman. I'm thinking Timothy Chariot. I'm thinking all those guys, uh, Stewie McSwain. Cole Hawker, maybe okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw that out for now because I want the folks to be on the goose. You put Nagoose in in a race with Jakob and those guys like a Diamond League, the uh, the Bislett Games where they do the mile. This is the first time I could actually picture an American running under Alan Webb's record, and to me that's big. To me that is big that we have someone as Americans, who we can believe in to have a shot at breaking that record that I believe has stood since 2001, 2002, uh, maybe 2003. But I know it was before the Athens Olympics and Webb had an all-time choke job. So the thing is, I believe in the goose for that. And number two, just along the same thought process there, I believe this man can medal and I don't, I don't believe this man can just medal in the future in the 1500 that showed me between that and the three K two weeks ago, this man could medal this year at the Budapest world championship. So I am here spreading hope that as Americans, we have someone who could Metal. And I know it hasn't been that long, Matt Centrowitz won gold in 2016, but for how disappointing U.S. 1500 meter running has been since then, I'm really excited that it, it feels like, kind of for the first time, that we have a chance at meddling. And I use the word kind of because yes, I did believe in Cole Hawker. In that magic 2021 year i really felt like in the the right race he could have won bronze but it ended up being a sub 330 type race that was crazy and guess what now we have a guy who could go sub 330. i still think cole can as well but for him it's more of in the future but for negus the goose is loose right now the goose is loose in 2023 and so in closing, there has been one absence so far in this indoor track season there has been one particular person who we have yet to see in action while Woody Kincaid has broken the 5K record and Goose has now broken the 3K and the mile record. And it is a man named Grant Fisher. What is he up to? Well, the thing is, we we don't know, first of all, Bowerman Track Club, very secretive. But what we do know is that for all these years, that it has felt like, at either the middle distance level or the long distance level, a Jerry Schumacher or Alberto Salazar athlete is the only they're the only training groups that we have a chance of getting a medal with as American distance runners that only the athletes coached by those men will give us a chance we now have hope elsewhere and I'm not just talking about American because the on athletics club it's it's an international group but when you think about three guys out of all of the history of human civilization for years, for thousands of years, millions of years, there have only been three men in the history of Western civilization who have put the fear of God into Grant Fisher. They are, of course, Morgan McDonald. They are, of course, Joe Klecker, and they are, of course, Yard and Goose, Morgan, how many NCAA championships did he win from Grant? Too many to count. Joe, 10Ks, USAs last year. Yard, that DMR back in 2019 when he outkicked Grant. These are the three, and they have combined forces. So I bring that up as both an encouragement and just to say, there is a new hope in American distance running. I know Morgan is not an American, but he still is one of those historic three. And I hope he can get healthy because he was starting to round into form last summer and fall, uh, but he's been biking a lot on Strava and that kind of, that kind of feels like an injury. In that case, I'll have to tune into his pod and and see what's going on there. But I say all that to say, congrats to Yared. Huge record. We have hope. We have someone we can believe in. And I also say that to say, your move, Grant. Your move. It sounds like the sound running 10K. Probably going to be the next one for Grant to go after the standard. And uh, who knows? Go after bettering his 10k record. But until then, we can just celebrate what the On Athletics Club has done. So, that covers Millrose. That was a big one. That was that went even longer than I expected it to, but there was so much happening we had to cover it. So, you know, looking at the rest of the season here, there isn't much until ncaa indoor championships um milrose is always the number one indoor meet like even last year with them having the world indoor championships no one cares about that and and we talked about that at nauseam last year about why and about shoe company incentives and and all that um but no one cares like about those medals it's, it's kind of like uh i don't know it, i don't want to say it's it's like a, a cheaper version but it's still a great resume builder but compared to an olympic medal or even a world outdoor medal i think people would rather win bronze outdoors than gold indoors so with that milrose's top dog we're not going to have anything on this level for the rest of the season but the ncaa's are going to be pretty crazy and they're just about a month away Uh, I I believe four weeks away. Um, I I hope I'm right on that. But that's going to be exciting. Really looking forward to that. Uh, But until then, we will just keep doing our thing here. So thanks for being with us today. If you would like to contact the show, send us an email, chiptimepod at gmail.com, chiptimepod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. That five-star button does need your touching. And if you would like to join the Chiptime Strava group, all you need to do is follow me on Strava. So thanks for listening, keep working hard, and we'll see you next time.